Hello again, and welcome back to the Slow Flowers Podcast with Deborah Prinsing, episode 426. This is the weekly podcast about American flowers and the people who grow and design with them. It's all about making a conscious choice, and I invite you to join the conversation and the creative community as we discuss the vital topics of saving our domestic flower farms and supporting a floral industry that relies on a safe, seasonal, and local supply of flowers and foliage. This podcast is brought to you by slowflowers.com, the free nationwide online directory to florists, shops, and studios who design with American-grown flowers and to the farms that grow those blooms. It's the conscious choice for buying and sending flowers. And thank you to our lead sponsor, Florist Review Magazine. I'm delighted to serve as contributing editor for Slow Flowers Journal, found in the pages of Florist Review. It's the leading trade magazine in the floral industry and the only independent periodical for the retail, wholesale, and supplier market. Take advantage of the special subscription offer for members of the Slow Flowers community at deborahprinzing.com, where you can also find the show notes for today's episode 426. And now through the end of the year, you can take part of in the buy one, give one subscription program. And I'll have a special link to that too. Our first sponsor thanks goes to Farmers Web. Farmers Web software makes it simple for flower farms to streamline working with their buyers. By lessening the administrative load and increasing efficiency, Farmers Web helps your farm save time, reduce errors, and work with more buyers overall. Learn more at farmersweb.com. Today we're continuing our theme for 2019 50 States of Slow Flowers with Laura Bigby Fott of White's Creek Flower Farm in White's Creek, Tennessee. Listen for my conversation with Laura in the second portion of this episode. But first, I'm delighted to introduce you to Katie Davis of Ponderosa and Time. Katie and I first met in the spring of 2014 while attending a little flower school workshop at Shriners Iris Gardens in Salem, Oregon. I was there to produce an article about the class for Country Gardens Magazine, and Katie, a hometown gal, was one of the many talented designers who attended. A few years later, when Mayesh Wholesale Florist planned its Portland, Oregon branch grand opening, Katie and I were invited to present design demonstrations during the party. It was such a thrill to share that experience with her. For me, it gave me a new appreciation for Katie's artistry and affinity for designing with color, texture, and nature as her muse. Ponderosa and Time joined Slow Flowers in 2018, and I've been wanting to interview Katie and share her amazing story with you ever since. As I stay in our conversation, it's silly that Katie and I live in adjacent states and yet have waited this long to record our episode. Let's blame this lapse in part to our mutual busy travel schedules. Katie has been a nomadic floral design educator for the past several years. And well, you know, I'm always on the road myself. To be fair, though, she's not a nomad, but an artist whose desire is to develop and lead experiences and opportunities centered around creativity, authenticity, and personal growth. Floristry is the artistic medium Katie uses to facilitate these experiences. Katie is known for nurturing supportive and inspiring learning environments that are immersive, intimate, beautiful, and warm. She values environments where people can be truly present and connect honestly with themselves and others in their pursuit of artistic expression and a sustainable life. 
Katie Davis is an internationally acclaimed florist based in Salem, Oregon, the heart of the Willamette Valley. Since founding Ponderosa and Time in 2011, Katie has become known for her textural designs inspired by nature. Her floral designs use the most luxurious and beautiful flowers available while incorporating locally foraged, unique, and sensory plants into each arrangement. The result is a visually breathtaking experience. Katie's design aesthetic could be best described as playful, romantic, herby, and fragrant. In addition to creating florals for intimate weddings, Katie and her team host incredible workshops worldwide for florists and other creatives to explore the art of floral design. Ponderosa and Time continues to offer wedding and event services specializing in intimate and heartfelt experiences. With a heart for education, Katie has been teaching floral design since 2014, serving clients across the globe. Flowers are a language of their own, and while teaching in English, Katie is able to cross cultures with her thoughtful and emotional approach, just as comfortable teaching the basics as she is pushing experienced professionals to expand their creative boundaries, Katie loves to help people grow, discover, and connect. The Ponderosa workshop retreats have taken Katie to Italy, Scotland, France, Australia, and New York. She's also been invited to teach in Korea, Mexico, and across the U.S., With the advent of 2020, the Ponderosa Classroom in Salem, Oregon is gearing up for a full series of workshops, including one-day and two-day intensive sessions that focus on specific skills, techniques, and designs to facilitate artistic expression in floral design. In our conversation, you'll hear Katie discuss her decision in 2018 to lease a brick-and-mortar location in her beautiful hometown. I'm thrilled to share our chat with you, and I invite you to visit today's show notes for episode 426 at deborahprinzing.com to see images of Katie, her workshops, her new classroom space, and her floral art. We'll also share links to her social places so you can find and follow Ponderosa and Time. Let's get started. Welcome back to the Slow Flowers Podcast with Deborah Prinzing, and I'm so delighted today to have someone on as a guest who I've been trying to link up with for a long time. (laughs) Welcome, Katie Davis of Ponderosa and Time. Hi, I'm so thrilled to be here finally with you. It has been a long time coming. <laughs> I know it's like pathetic that we're one we're one state away from each other, but it's very difficult to to connect. So, uh, thanks for saying oh, yes. Yeah. <laughs> I'm so glad. It's something I've been wanting to do. Um, thanks for having me. You bet. Well, Katie and I met originally, I think about four years ago, maybe at a workshop at yeah. Sh- Shriners Irises, right? Yeah, totally. Yep. I forgot. That's where we first met. I know. That's true. And it was a wonderful um, Little Flower School workshop. It was. And uh, yeah, then we teamed up and did a little demo together, which is, I feel so embarrassed that I was even sharing the stage with you at a Mayesh what? event. <laughs> oh my word. I had, a, I had a similar feeling about, you know, like I was feeling like I'm sitting, standing next to greatness <laughs> here at Mayesh. I, I felt totally out of my league designing next to you. It was really, it was really an honor. It was really fun. That's, that's a moment that I look at with much affection and feeling like I, you know, I was growing up the designing next to Deborah Prinzing. It was pretty cool. Oh, (laughs) thank you. That's really kind of you. It was really a fun event. And, um, I've, I followed, I followed your amazing career and with just complete, uh, awe and, 
I'm so happy that you joined Slow Flowers. I know you are an advocate for sourcing locally and seasonally when you can. And um, you're, yep. you're based in Salem, Oregon, right? Yeah. Yes, I am. I have a classroom in downtown Salem in the historic area. Our building is Mac dab right there next to the Capitol. <laughs> well, well, it's I, really beautiful. I love that, and you are kind of in the um, you know the the part of Oregon that is like agriculturally rich with with farms yes. and wineries, but also flower farms. So, um, let's start by just I'd like to ask you to just give us a snapshot of Ponderosa and time uh, as it looks today, and then we'll we'll back up a little bit in a while and, and get the get your journey. But sure. How do you describe Ponderosa and time? Uh, today, I like that. Starting <laughs> with right now, that's perfect. Okay. Um, right now, I'm sitting in my um, in my classroom, and right now it's empty, so it's a little echoey. But when there's people in here, it's a really warm and beautiful. Um, we've got windows that are that wrap the side of the building that we're on, and so we just have incredible window light. Um, so that's our space. Um, it's light and airy and beautiful. We have natural wood floors that. Um, have been, you know, not restored, but kind of lovingly, uh, mm. <laughs> they're, they're very distressed and we just, we just made them, we just leaned into that. And so there are these beautiful distressed floors and we just feel really lucky to be in a, in a historic part of Salem. Um, and really right down in the middle of where everything is happening in Salem. So, um, yeah, I feel like I, I kind of lucked out with the space that we have. Um, and, and we teach classes in here. It's my dream. It was always my dream to have a place to teach. Um, I never imagined that it would be in my hometown. I kind of thought it would take me, you know, going somewhere else. And so when the space became available in my, in my hometown, the place that I grew up, um, you know, and it seemed like the city was ready for what we're doing. So we just leaned in to see, and it's, and it's been really successful. It's been really wonderful. Um, we teach classes, you know, people come in from all over the world to learn about, about flowers and to experience the beauty of the Willamette Valley. And, um, I just feel really honored to be able to be a part right in the middle of it all, mm-hmm. you know, right in the middle of, of all of this amazing agriculture, amazing flowers. Um, yeah, it's really special. And I feel like I get to introduce people to what I love, you know, and I used to take it for granted where we live, but really, Everything grows here. It's really incredible. And I know it's not normal to be surrounded by this much amazing. So I thought, well, let's make Salem a destination for florists. Let's make it a place where people want to come and learn about this incredible environment that I can exist in, you know? Neat. Then you opened... That's kind of our goal. Yeah. And you opened the classroom within the last year, right? Yeah, yeah, we've been in our space now. It's been a year in October. Oh, wow. Yeah. Okay. Well, happy so anniversary. Exactly. <laughs> Thanks. Yeah. And uh, roughly how big is it in square footage wise? Oh, gosh. I'm horrible at square footage. Um, we like to have classes of eight people. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> um, That's we perfect. We have eight to 12 people in our classes, and everybody has a table. So, you know, if you can yeah. imagine that set up, and it's cozy, but it's not too tight, then, you know, that's that's about the size. <laughs> well, I, listen, Katie, share some photos, and we'll put them on the show notes for today's episode. Oh, then people can see that. it. Okay. Um, and, and just being a being a Pacific Northwesterner, I have to say, Salem, if for anyone who's listening and does not know where Salem is, it's just a very short, less than one hour drive from the Portland, Oregon International Airport. So you really are yeah. in a in a like a 
relatively accessible hub from yeah, a major airport. Totally. Yeah. Wow. We live really close. Yeah. So in addition to your classes uh, that people can go take, come to Salem and take with you, you have a really active online presence. Uh, I see you go live almost every day with some very spontaneous. <laughs> I don't think it's scripted. It's just you going live on social no. media, right? That's true. Yes. So how did how did that um, how did that become part of your brand? So it, it was a natural sort of need um, that I saw. Uh, it, I experimented with Instagram Live almost as soon as it came out, and I thought, you know, this seems like something that will help people to be able to understand who I am as a human and not just uh, beautiful photos on a screen. And mm-hmm. so um, it was really important to me that people connected with me as a, as a person and not just a brand um, from the beginning. And so as soon as, you know, that tool became accessible for me, um, I realized that that was something that I could use to really help people to get to know me and be able to reach the people that I want to reach. And it, and it really has done that for me. I, it's not scripted. I usually don't plan it very well. And sometimes that shows, <laughs> um, you know, but I do have a really amazing group of people that I get to connect with online on Instagram daily. And it's, it's pretty special. Wow. And Katie, um, I, I'm just curious about your personality. Do you consider yourself an extrovert or like, how do you, how do you, <laughs> you just seem so natural and, and yet I don't think you're extremely, I don't know. I don't think you're somebody who brags about herself or who has to kind of uh, be this in the spotlight. It's more authentic and, and kind of personal the way you approach well, your I, communication. I really appreciate um, those words because it's weird to say those words about yourself, but it's nice to hear them. Uh, <laughs> I, you know, I don't, ex- I don't consider myself an extrovert. I, Technically, when I took the test, you know, extrovert <laughs> or introverted, um, I actually showed up as an ambivert, which is somebody who's right in the middle of extroverted and introverted. Technically, I'm a little bit more introverted than extroverted, but introverts can be great performers and they're good on a stage. Um, and so even though I lean towards the introverted side, I do need a lot of alone time to recharge. I also love being with people. I need to be with people. I love people. It's why I do what I do. Um, people are my passion. And yeah. so, um, yeah, I'm, I'm passionate about people, but I need a lot of load time to recharge. So I got to, I got to figure that, that one out. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That, um, that falls under yeah. balance, right? <laughs> totally. Yeah, totally. Well, I like it. It's really fun. And, um, you know, it's also, I, it's unexpected. Like if I'm on, if I'm scrolling through Instagram and, and you pop up, I just jump in for a little bit, but, um, it's not like, you, oh. it's not like you're scheduled, super scheduled, like 9am every day no. or okay. No, yeah. that's fun. <laughs> no, that's not my personality. I wish I was, I wish I was a more scheduled person, but no, are you, are you I'm not ch- good at that? That's okay. I, I don't think we all, I like the spontaneity of it. Um, <laughs> it seems to be authentic as well. Like, you know, this, and yeah, that's, yeah. Th- I kind of wanted you to comment a little bit on like, what do you want to share with people? Are you in almost always in your studio? Are you on location somewhere or are you shopping for flowers? Like what, or all of the above? Yeah. I mean, I, I try to just take people behind the scenes to moments that I find really beautiful. Um, that's usually when I'll go behind the scenes for stuff is like, usually when I'm experiencing something just really, really beautiful. And I think, you know, this might 
really encourage somebody or this might really um, really speak to a large group of people on my Instagram right now. I just want to share this with them. And I don't do that with everything. Like yesterday I was experiencing something really, really beautiful at my house. And um, I thought, oh, gosh, maybe I should go live. And I thought, no, 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 I'm going to stay present here with my fam right now. Mm. So I don't mm-hmm. I don't go live all the time. Um, but there are moments that I feel like are special to share with people. A lot of times, like if we're doing a photo shoot for a workshop or something, and I think, oh, this is really beautiful. And I feel like I've been present enough. Mm-hmm. Then I'll, I'll do something like I'll go live maybe in those instances. But um, the other reason is usually just because I have a, an idea um, that I want to share with the group and I just want to try something out and I want to share it with them, maybe the process of it. Um, or I feel like I have kind of a message for our community that I want to share a message of connection or hope. Um, usually, uh, it just kind of depends, but a lot of times I feel like sharing that message through the meeting of flowers, whether I'm doing a flower meditation or doing a tutorial is a great way to kind of reach people's hearts. Um, I feel like, you know, the social media world is really full of a lot of comparison and a lot of anxiety. And I kind of just want to be a moment of peace in the middle of it all. Mm. That's my hope. When Mm. I get online that people could interact with my feed for a minute and they'd walk away feeling better about themselves Mm. afterwards. Mm. That's what I'm hoping. Mm. I love that. Well, the Ponderosa and Time business name, uh, has a story, I'm sure. And I'm curious to know when, when when did you start the business and what was your original, maybe your original version of Ponderosa in Time? I know it's evolved. I'd love to hear about that. Yeah, it totally has. Uh, Ponderosa in Time, uh, started seven, seven years ago, I think. Gosh, I'm really bad at my timelines, but uh, before that, I was Katie Davis Flowers and Events. I used to coordinate weddings and events and do the flowers for them. Um, I'm really good at coordinating weddings, but I realized pretty soon that, you know, I really wanted to coordinate my own events. Um, mm. So I turned that energy, you know, of uh, doing things for other people and turned it into energy for my business. And I started coordinating my own uh, workshops and retreats and stuff like that. Um, and just started focusing more on flowers instead of event work, mm. um, like coordinating stuff. Um, realizing that I needed to put my energy into one thing. And I was definitely more passionate about the flower process. So I just focused on flowers and got better at them. And really, you know, I'd been doing it. I've been work. I worked in a flower shop when I was 16. Um, I've been doing flowers since I'm 30. Oh gosh, how old am I? I'm 37. Wow. Wow. Two, <laughs> um, two, two so, thirds of yeah. your life. Yeah. Two thirds of your yeah, life yep. has been doing this. Wow. Yep. It's my passion. It's my mm. life. Um, wow. Feels like a, like a, another limb on my body, you know? Mm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, yeah. So uh, I feel like it's always been there, but I think, you know, when I decided to make the leap from, you know, trying to do everything, just really focusing in on flowers and, and perfecting my art form around that. Um, I, I really fell in love with it, with the artistry of it. Um, and I'm a natural teacher. I've also had teaching jobs throughout my life in different aspects. Um, and I started wondering if, you know, maybe the things that I've learned in the past teaching different kinds of things, maybe that would, you know, translate into flowers. And so I tried it out in my front living room, um, 
for a Christmas centerpiece class and, uh, you know, the rest is history. (laughs) I discovered that I love teaching flowers as much as I love teaching other things and I was really good at it. And so that was pretty early on in Ponderosa in time. I knew that I was going to teach probably within the first year and a half. Um, yeah, so I was, I've been building my business to get to a point where I could just teach because that's, that is my passion. I love flowers. I consider floristry my art form, um, but teaching is my passion. So Wow. So when you talk about teaching um, through Ponderosa and Time, have pretty, it sounds like pretty early on you stopped pursuing wedding bookings for flor- wedding florists. Yeah, I took a lot of weddings, um, you know, for the income for sure, but there was also an element of it that I really wanted to learn as much as I could so that I could have the conversations about weddings you know, with people that are doing them. Mm. I wanted to be able to teach out of a place of knowing. Um, so I still take events and weddings. I learn a lot from them every time I do them. So I always have something to, to talk about. Um, this last year, though, I only took, I think, three events. Right, right. But you're that yeah. is that I really respect that because uh there is that that uh that adage, you know, those who can't teach or some stupid thing like that and you're you're <laughs> you're defying and it's usually about academics and not not florists, yeah, but no, I know. You're I hear it though. Yeah. yeah, and that you're you're uh current enough in knowing the demands of wedding floristry that when you do teach those questions inevitably come up from your students you're able to yeah. give them real life uh advice from from your experience. Totally. Yep, and I and I worked in the wedding industry doing wedding florals for years and years. I mean, I, I know it in, I know the industry in and out. I, I, I decided pretty, pretty soon into my career that I didn't think I wanted big weddings. Um, you know, I, I had the opportunity to work on a few really, really large weddings with large budgets. And I realized that that world isn't for me. There's, there's a lot of reasons why, which is really big conversations, but Mm -hmm. for me, big weddings are, are not the kind of celebration that I, that I would normally want to take on. So that meant that my budgets were in general going to be a lot smaller. Um, and so that's primarily the world that I know is a smaller wedding budget industry. Cause I chose, like I said, pretty early on to not really try to pursue really, really big events, but that's hard, you know, to, to not do big events. You, it means your budget's going to be, you know, you're, the budgets you're working with are going to be a lot smaller, which means you're going to have to do a lot more. And for me, I knew that doing weddings wasn't my passion, so I had to pretty quickly make the decision to just dive into teaching if I wasn't going to, you know, do four weddings in a weekend or right, something. Right, right. <laughs> well, from that first workshop in your living room teaching a Christmas design <laughs> yeah. um, to, uh, you know, international teaching uh, workshops slash retreats. I feel like that's, they're really experiences that you're leading. Um, how did that, I mean, what was the first like big freaking scary risk you took, uh, to, to put one of those, those destination workshops together? (laughs) Well, I think that you use the term perfectly freaking scary risk. (laughs) That's exactly what it was. And I don't recommend to anyone to do what we did. Um, you know, we, we put our personal finances on the line for that workshop. Um, we, we leased a space or rented a space that was 
um, incredible. Um, it was very expensive. Um, all of the retreats are because the locations we go to are incredible. Right. Um, and that's part of it. But, you know, the very first one, I had only done one retreat before. Um, I did it as a test run to make sure I could to pull one off. And afterwards I knew, oh, yeah, I, I've got this. This is going to be great. Um, <laughs> and I, I was in Ireland, um, kind of a last-minute trip to Ireland. I'd never actually gone on a solo trip before. I'd never been to Europe, and I got asked to do flowers for a photography workshop in Ireland. And I got my plane ticket. It's a long story, but the plane ticket or the plane ticket and my passport came, you know, the day before I had to get on a plane. <laughs> oh wow! Um, I've been racing by the seat of my pants since. Uh, <laughs> uh, Ireland was definitely a whirlwind trip for me. I learned a lot about sourcing flowers in other places. Um, it was a it was a trial by fire, but I but I made it. And on that trip, I met the people who introduced me to the idea of even taking a workshop to England. Mm. Um, I met Sarah from Wedding Sparrow and, and she helped me and connected me with some people. Um, and the next April, I think that was in uh, July and the next April I had my first workshop in England and it was, it was a magical experience, but definitely the biggest financial risk I've ever taken for my business or myself personally. Um, and it was definitely scary. We didn't know if we'd sell the tickets. It was a huge risk, but I believed in in the what I felt like was the calling as a teacher. I believed that I my people were all over the world, and I needed to go to them um, mm-hmm. because I knew that if I just started something here in Salem, they might not find me. But if I went to England, it's pretty central. And sure enough, you know, we had twelve students from eight different countries. Wow. Um, and it was humbling. I mean, I cried like every night when I went to bed because I was so overwhelmed by it. Um, and That's... I still feel that way. Every time I teach a, a retreat and it sells and people come, I, you know, I just cry when a workshop sells out because mm. I can't believe it. I'm so lucky. Mm. And I'm totally crying on the phone. With you. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I'm going to tear up too. I mean, it's it's just, it, it's, there's nothing better than doing what you love and knowing that yeah. you're, um, enriching the lives of others. And it, yep. that's what teaching in its purest form is. Um, that's true. so in, in addition to England and Ireland, what other countries have you, uh, led workshops in? Oh man. Um, well, I actually haven't led a workshop in Ireland. That's oh. coming. Oh, oh um, okay. But I, yeah. But that was my first trip. My first trip to Europe was that I was doing flowers for a workshop. Oh, there. right. Okay. Got um, it. Yeah. But, um, yeah, Ireland's coming. I'm hoping for it. <laughs> We've done workshops in England. We've done them in Spain. Um, we were in Italy this year and last year. Um, we've been in France twice. Um, gosh, I'm trying to think of anywhere else we've been. I have taught um, in Mexico. Um, I didn't lead the workshop there, but I got, I, was, I got to do some guest teaching there. That was super special. I know I'm forgetting some, but oh, somewhere. Oh, that's okay. But... Yeah, I put you on the spot with that. <laughs> well, and then in addition to teaching um, kind of closer to home, which is yeah. um, you've done workshops similar to your international ones um, in Oregon, haven't you? Yeah. Multi-day. Yeah, we did one in Oregon. We've done, we've done some um, on, the, on the East Coast as well. Um, 
in the mm. South. Um, just kind of, we've kind of spread out and I've done a lot of guest teaching too. Yeah. Um, sometimes they kind of overlap. So it just, it just sort of depends on, you know, a lot of times I'll come in as a guest teacher for like a multi teacher conference. Sure. That's always really, really fun. Yeah. Kind of like flower stock you were talking about. earlier. Right. Right. So tell me, yeah. um, if, if someone was to ask you your aesthetic, how would you describe it? I mean, it's, I don't want to, mm. I know what I would think, but I want to hear what you have to say. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, I want to know what you would think. I don't know. Um, I always think of it as being fragrant and herby, mm. um, and textural. Um, I love lots of textures. Um, I don't know. I always think about the way it smells when I look at my mm. flowers. So, when I watched you design that uh, hand tie bouquet uh, when we were doing that May Ash event a couple years ago, oh yeah, I just was enthralled by the. You are not a minimalist at all. You are, no. but you, <laughs> but you're able to take what might to some seem like a, a complete, you know, eclectic pile of flowers and integrate them by you know using balance and line and color and and form and you know re repetition and and color echoes and like totally. all all the things an artist would do on a palette on a canvas um yep. the whole the the end result is so surprising in extreme <laughs> compared to the you know the starting point of just a bunch of stems on the table it was lovely to watch totally. oh that's fun thank you and you're so obviously inspired by uh, the material, the, the the stems, the botanicals, uh, as your you know kind of your muse. When you probably design, it's it's very it, it doesn't strike me as something that's very recipe driven. No, I I do create recipes. You know, if I have a have an, have an event or something, I'll create a recipe for centerpieces, for instance, or whatever. But if I'm if I have the opportunity to just create something on a one-off, that's always the best for yeah. me. I love that. Super fun. And, and I'm definitely driven by what is in the bucket in front of me. I mean, I think that's why for me working with local flowers is the best thing ever because you're just never going to get, you know, these perfect stems. They're always going to have special movement or different kinds of coloring that you would not normally see. And so, I find, you know, any kind of abnormality that, or different kinds of shapes, that's something that for me is absolutely going to dictate the shapes that I create mm -hmm. in the end. Well, you're mentioning uh, local flowers and we've kind of alluded to the fact that you live in a region where there are a lot of great flower farmers. Um, yeah. I remember seeing you at the Pacific Northwest Cut Flower Growers meetup a couple years ago. And I, my yeah. first reaction was, what's she doing now? Is, is there going to be a Ponderosa <laughs> time farm? I mean, I didn't, were you, are you growing at all? Or was that more for just education? Um, I am fascinated by growing. I'm not great at growing yet. <laughs> um, I have a property. I have a beautiful new property that I, um, it's a blank canvas, and I'm I'm going to attempt to make a garden in it. Um, awesome! I'm, I'm really excited about it. So I'm learning a lot about soil right now. That's my big focus is learning about soil because that's obviously foundational. Um, and then I'm hoping to just get my soil to a really good spot this next year, and then hopefully put some flowers in the spring. We'll see. Oh my goodness, that is exciting! Well, you're highly aware of. Um, the, the flowers in your region, and we talked. I'd love to talk a little bit about your so sourcing practices. I, I I also am interested in um, the challenges that you've faced when you do teach internationally, because obviously you just fly in and you have to 
make things happen long distance before you get there. I mean, yeah. What, there are they two different, completely different uh, game plans. The w- whether you're doing something in your own backyard in your hometown. Yeah. Oh yeah. Totally. I mean, that's part of what we're super excited about with this next year. We're doing a lot more at home, and and part of what I'm really excited about, out of the very, you know, besides just being near home, that's going to be great. But also, we're going to be able to use local flowers like for almost every single class we do, mm. um, and that for me is is really, really wonderful. Um, I can call, you know, five or six people that I, you know, live within 20 or 30 minutes of me and I can have buckets of local flowers within a few hours if I need them. I can either have to go pick them up or sometimes they drop them off. But I mean, I just, I have everything I need really, really close to Mm. me. And that's, it's not, that isn't like a normal situation. (laughs) Um, so I feel really lucky for that, but I, you know, when I'm traveling, it's a completely different thing. I have to plan way in advance. And if I try to use local flowers, um, honestly, every single trip I've taken and tried to depend on local flowers, there's been something that's happened Mm. where, um, you know, weather happened or season happened and, and the flowers that I was expecting weren't there or weren't available. And it's happened so many times now that I've, primarily have to depend on flowers that are that are not local and that's right. harder for me it's just a hard you know it's just a reality as mm-hmm. you know and I do source ethically as much as I can and I, you know I do the research that I can I work with companies that I know are sourcing ethically but and I ask a lot of questions um I you know if I'm going to, I try to go to places that I know I can get some local flowers like when I'm going to London for instance I know um, when I go to the London flower market, there are growers there that, or there are wholesalers that right. bring in lots and lots of local flowers. So I right. can ask them, okay, point me in the direction. Um, but when I go to places that are a little bit more remote where we have to have stuff shipped in, you know, luckily there are companies that I can work with that will ship me flowers. Sure. Um, sure. Which is great Yeah. when I need it, but. And it does, it yeah. does have a different aesthetic. It, it seems, uh, in, in some cases, totally. um, yeah. I'm sure you can make gorgeous stuff with all imported flowers. It's, it's just a slightly different look than when you've got some wacky crooked stem that you're grooving on. Yeah. Um, yeah. But that's really interesting. And I, I think it's, I'm impressed that your um, decision to open your classroom in Salem and perhaps have more uh, training and teaching in that region is because of this availability. Well, probably for a lot of reasons, because you don't have to travel as much, but, uh, yeah. and, but also the availability of resources that you can use for your workshops uh, from local farms. Yeah. It's really cool. Well, I just, I feel like it's a responsibility thing in a lot of ways, like me really leaning into what I have here and being thankful for it and saying, Hey, come experiencing, experience the abundance of what we have. Come experience this. Mm-hmm. Like, People should should be able to experience this, you know, in sometime in their lifetime because it's beautiful. If they don't have it in their backyard, come come to a place where it exists, you know, and and see it, um, right? And see uh, and learn about it because I think that the Willamette Valley is a really great place to learn about uh, about well the kinds of flowers that can grow together. I'm always surprised what I see. <laughs> right, and you know the thing you mentioned the Willamette Valley. I I have to say it's it's pretty temperate and. 
in terms of the climate being temperate. So you yep. probably can go almost to Thanksgiving and start up again, maybe in yep. March or April. It's a little bit, yep. the w- winter's shorter, it seems. Yeah, and, and, and not as uh, fierce. It's pretty mild, usually. Watch, now this will be the worst winter ever on record. Or <laughs> That was knock on wood. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I we have similar climates here. So, I mean, you have a winter palette. Yeah, your your, yeah. Pa- your winter palette, though, is more muted and more quiet. And but I think you can yeah. design beautiful items with that. Absolutely. Yep. Absolutely. Well, I'm just excited to see what happens with your school. Can you talk a little bit about what you, you have coming up in the in the twenty twenty season? I mean, we're almost two thirds. Well, we're three quarters of we're the way through there. the year. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. I, I we're announcing our dates this weekend, so I guess by the time this airs, it'll still have just been announced. Um, and we are, yeah, we're releasing winter dates soon, and I, I'm hoping that they sell out quickly. I and mean, that's always the hope, isn't it? But yeah, um, we're going to just be doing master classes here in the classroom um, here in Salem. And I'm not going to be doing any international retreats next year because I really want to focus on building this classroom mm. um, and making it making it everything I want it to be. Um, it already is what I want it to be, but it's really, you know, having more and more people in here is the more people we have in here, the more at home I feel. So, yeah, that's our goal. Is that's to wonderful. Bring people into our classroom and. We'll have lots of master classes that we're teaching out of this space. Um, most of them will be one or two days, so people can kind of, you know, take a class and then get back to their normal life. Um, <laughs> it won't be as much of a retreat setting. I don't know. I think for me, taking a break from the retreats is important um, just because I have to. I'm going to be focusing on, like I said, creating this atmosphere here in Salem and also. I'm starting a book, so I'm going to start writing that this year. Oh, my gosh. That is so exciting. Oh, I can't believe yep, it. Yep, I'm stoked. <laughs> Are you um, – what can you tell us about it? Will it be a design book or uh, – Ooh, that's a good question. Or to be determined. Uh, it, well, it, it's in process, so um, it will be about color. I can say mm. that. Mm-hmm. It's going to be about color. Lovely. Yep. And, and obviously flowers will be a part of it too. Yeah. <laughs> and if, if I'm to guess, uh, you will be, um, creating all the visuals for the book and, uh, designs by you will be featured in it. You well, that part we'll have to push pause uh-huh. and wait and see. Okay. Well, <laughs> I'll tell you what, Katie, when the book comes out, we'll do another, we'll do another conversation. How oh, does that that'd sound? That'd be really fun. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. That'd be really fun. And then you also are, uh, uh, continuing your online presence with uh, education there, right? Yes. Yep. It's really important to me to stay active in Instagram. Um, so I will continue to do the live videos, but we've also uh, launched a live video platform. Um, I'm kind of calling it the Netflix for florists um, because that's essentially how it's operating. I'm uh, We're developing videos every month and releasing them on there and then um, people can access them anytime, and it's just this growing library of tutorials and meditations. I do flower meditations and how-tos and conversations, and I don't know. It's it's a really good resource, um, and wow. we're really proud of it, and we're going to be working really, really hard this next coming year to just really grow grow that presence um, and grow that community because it's, 
it's pretty beautiful already. Pretty and, proud of it. And people can access that at your website, right? Yeah, they can find all the info on my website. Gosh, this is really nice. Thanks for letting me take time to talk about that. I appreciate well, it. Yeah, bef- I want to ask you just before we wrap up, describe what a flower meditation is. I'm so intrigued. It sounds sounds beautiful. Oh, yeah. Well, you know, I am not a person that can just sort of sit and try to think about nothing. I That has never worked for me. Um, so when, or to think about, to empty my mind, like that's mm. just not something that works for me. So every time I'm in a meditation practice, um, I find my, my mind wandering and not able to tame it down. But what I've discovered with working with flowers is that when I'm working with flowers, my mind is empty of everything else. Mm. Um, usually, usually the kind of intense thoughts or intense feelings that I've been experiencing throughout the day kind of go away or go out, um, as I'm processing through my, through my flowers or even the good feelings that I'm having, I can process that when I'm designing with my flowers more than any other time. And so I was doing it just as a kind of a natural practice for myself and recognizing this is my way of meditating. This is how I do it. And I had always come out of those sessions, just invigorated and with answers and feeling like I processed information really well. And so then I started doing them without telling anybody what it was on Instagram Live, and people's responses to it was just huge. People loved them. Um, and they were really like, they were getting similar experiences that I was getting from mm-hmm. it. <laughs> that's wonderful. And so, yeah, so then I just decided that that's something I'm going to continue to do on Instagram Live, but it's nice when it can be somewhere permanent too. So that's a part of our online classroom that we've added. I think you've put a, a, a name or a description to something that is so universal and that many people have, yep. as you said, experienced, whether they're in nature or gardening or yep. designing with flowers. I know I've had that same experience myself when I worked on the Slow Flowers book. It was literally the only time every week yep. that I was away from electronics and quiet by myself. And I, I just got a little shiver listening to you because I, I, I know that feeling oh. you're describing. And I'm so glad you're making it accessible and available to people who are seeking, you know, a way to kind of connect better with themselves and their feelings. So it's, it sounds beautiful. Yep. Yeah. Well, and we, we all do have access to it. You know, I think we all know where that, that space of creativity exists. And when we can access that just for ourselves, um, if flowers is a medium, it's especially good. Um, but I, you know, I think that for me, that's part of what I feel like I'm called to do is help people to be able to connect with themselves and their creative voice. And for me, flower meditation or that idea of creating and creative process being, you know, that, that for me is the way that I get there. Um, it, it differs for everybody, but sure. being able to find that space is really it's really powerful. It's really beautiful. And it's definitely my passion to introduce people to that idea. I love it. Wow. Oh, Katie, this has been such a fun conversation. Thank you so much for, for making the time in your schedule and uh, just bringing me up to speed on all the amazing things that you're involved in. And Oh, gosh. Love thanks it. for asking. It means a lot. <laughs> well, will you share? I appreciate it a lot. Oh, I, I'm so grateful, too. And um, I'm serious about when the book comes out, we'll, we'll have a 
part two of this conversation. How does that sound? Oh, that'd be amazing. I'd love it. Thank you. Uh, thanks again, Katie. This has been a beautiful uh, moment in my day, and I'm so glad we can share Aww. it with the, the listeners. Uh, it's just been great to talk to you. Yeah, thanks for the chat. I appreciate it. Okay, take care. so much for joining my conversation today with Katie Davis of Ponderosa and Time. My heart is filled with admiration and affection for Katie, and I'm delighted you joined us. Be sure to check out the Ponderosa Classroom Online, a new project that Katie created as a response to requests for affordably priced in-depth online education, monthly floral meditations to inspire your creativity, recipes for arrangements, information and online discussions on relevant business and creative topics, access to music playlists, access to full-length Instagram live video replays from Ponderosa and Time, high-quality content accessible 24-7, connection and community with like-hearted flower friends, and more. Monthly memberships are just $9.99 U.S. per month, and annual memberships are only $99 U.S. per year. You can find more details in our links in today's show notes at deborahprincing.com. Our next sponsored thank you goes to Syndicate Sales, an American manufacturer of vases and accessories for the professional florist. Look for the American flag icon to find Syndicate's USA-made products and join the Syndicate Stars loyalty program at syndicatesales.com. Now, let's visit Laura Bigby Fott of White's Creek Flower Farm as part of our Tennessee Spotlight in the 2019 50 States of Slow Flowers series. Established on Earth Day in 2012, White's Creek Flower Farm is an artisanal permaculture flower farm just outside of Nashville, Tennessee. White's Creek is a historic rural area, and you'll hear uh, Laura describe how beautiful it is there. Her flowers are lovingly grown and organically managed. She grows many unusual varieties, specializing in an English country garden aesthetic. Laura's bouquets are elegant and imbued with a sense of whimsy, and they are raised with a profound respect for the ecosystem of which they are a part. Let's meet Laura. so excited today to be visiting the state of Tennessee as part of our 50 States of Slow Flowers series this year, and I'm delighted to introduce Laura Bigby-Fott of White's Creek Flower Farm. Hi, Laura. Hi, Deborah. Thanks for jumping on the line with me. Sure, happy to do it. Actually, we've never met in person, but we've been pen pals for a while. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my goodness. Well, um, give me a snapshot of where you're located, and a little bit about White's Creek Flower Farm, because you're more than a farm, you're also a floral design studio, right? Right. Uh-huh. Um, uh, we are in a little municipality uh, in Davidson County, Tennessee, uh, that is actually called White's Creek. It's quite historic. It was settled back in the early 1700s. Wow. Um, and But we are within the Nashville city limits, so we're this wonderful little rural pocket um just northwest of of nashville in fact we're 20 minutes from downtown well that's great for you because that's probably where a lot of your customers are yes they absolutely are yes so it's it's perfect it's a wonderful location Mm. what kind of acreage do you have 
we personally own three uh, and a half acres, uh, but I also grow, I'm very fortunate that my next door neighbor is a gardener at our local botanic gardens, Cheekwood Gardens. Oh, wow. And she, she has a big, wonderful backfield, about two acres, that she also lets me grow on. She's just thrilled to have flowers grown back there. And uh, so far has not allowed me to pay her rent. Oh. So it's, it's been a wonderful setup. And it's a completely, it's, it's adjacent to my high tunnel. So it's, it's great. That's crazy. I mean, to think that you have that much access to land in basically the shadows of an urban market is a dream. Right. Uh, mm-hmm. That's wonderful. So um, give us a sense of what you're growing, Laura. Um, and you mentioned a high tunnel. So you're doing field grown as well as undercover? Yes. Yes. Um, in the high tunnel, I'm growing Tweedia and uh, Snapdragons, Lysianthus, Ranunculus. Uh, callas. Uh, I have a row of eucalyptus down the center, mm. thanks to Dave Dowling. Mm-hmm. That's what he recommends. So mm-hmm. that's what I've done. Um, I'm going to grow some both perennial and um, annual sweet peas in there as well. Um, so that's all the high tunnel. Um, I look for unusual varieties of things to grow. Um, because I'm kind of a plant nerd, so <laughs> that's great. I, yeah, I do. I do a lot of uh, I do a lot of unusual perennials and things. And I start so far. I've started everything from seed except the bulbs and corms. I I bring those in, but everything else I I start from seed because that's just such a magical process for me. What is your season? I know Tennessee. I mean. I, it's technically the South. I don't know what your zone is, but I, it seems like you maybe have a longer growing period than people might, might, might suspect. Yeah, we're considered Mid-South here. We're not the Deep South. Right. We're, we're Mid-South, and um, we get crazy wild swings in temperature. So we can be below zero in winter, but we can be over 100 in the summer. So um, we're in Zone 7, Zone 7A, and... Um, uh, yeah, we have for farmers who do row crops, we have three growing three, you can get three plantings in, in a season. So it's pretty long starting with the, like hellebores and tulips under cover and things like that. Uh, February, we can start having things in February. Um, and then we, uh, also under cover, we can have, um, mums and dahlias and, and, uh, even sunflowers late into November. Wow. So you're still, we're here talking on actually on Halloween and you're still, right. you're still running around harvesting. It sounds like. Yes. Oh, yes. well, thanks. Yeah, for t- absolutely. I've got mums and, um, some sunflowers and not a whole lot else right now. And I will have, uh, dahlias until tonight because my dahlias are in the field. Mm. So tonight we're supposed to get a hard frost. So they will be, they will be gone tomorrow. Wow. But, um, well, yeah. thanks for taking a pause to talk with me. I really wanted to get you into our, our, uh, <laughs> rotation and next week is, is Tennessee. So, <laughs> um, oh, great. yeah. Great. So, uh, who are you selling to and how do you sell? I, I'm really curious knowing your proximity to Nashville that <clears throat> you're, you probably have a lot of different channels. Yes. Yes, there are quite a few different channels. I started out uh, selling to uh, selling to the public and farmer's market. Mm-hmm. And I just felt I'm a one-woman show, so I kind of felt like that that was the best 
option for me. And when I first started, my son was still um, in elementary school. So he was still pretty young. And I didn't want to be on the road with a with a bucket uh, route, mm-hmm. you know, trying to go out several days a week because uh, I wanted to be available to him. So I did a Saturday morning market. And that at, at one point, I was doing four markets at once. By myself. Oh my goodness! Like and, with, with uh, yes, it, uh, other people st- uh, staffing the booth, or how were you doing that? No, with me oh. and my poor little son. <laughs> <laughs> and my husband, of course, would he didn't ever help out in the booth, but you know he would help load and unload and sure. you know help with the tables and stuff like that. But um, yeah, so that um, I want to say it got old really quick, but mm. I did love it because mm-hmm. I'm an extrovert and I loved meeting the public and working with them. But that quickly led to weddings because people would stop by my booth and they go, Oh, this is just what I want my wedding to look mm. like. Do you do weddings? Mm-hmm. So I started doing wedding design and then that became so profitable that I finally had to let the markets go because they were really keeping me from doing the weddings and the weddings. What were, were what was really paying the bills. So the um, I've heard similar narratives for, from uh, others uh, in the Slow Flowers community who, you know, had that that stair-step approach with initially at the farmer's markets and then that led to requests for wedding design. Do you find that people see your aesthetic and like especially at the farmer's market, they don't really know what to call it. They think it's like a wildflower look, which is clearly not, <laughs> but they, right. they're a, there's something that is capturing their... Uh, emotional uh, connection to those flowers. And I'm just wondering... Oh, absolutely. Yeah, like how do you describe your aesthetic as a designer? Um, I I typically call mine, I think I even have this verbiage uh, on my website, an English country garden look. Mm, mm -hmm. It's that freshly gathered, it's like you just walked into an English country garden. And although I grow an awful lot of natives, but... That 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 also really resonates with people, especially here in Tennessee, because a lot of uh, a lot of our original um, citizens here uh, trace their ancestry back to to England and the Scottish Isles, and sure. so that really resonates with them to say English country garden, freshly gathered. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah. I tend to use that, although when people say wildflower, uh, <laughs> I, I know exactly what they mean. You I know. know, and they also. They'll think about their grandmother's garden. Mm -hmm. You know, here we are in the somewhat rural South. And, you know, they think back to a simpler time when their grandmothers had beautiful flowers and they could just walk out the back, the kitchen door and cut the flowers and put them on the table. And I think that's why it resonates so deeply with people. Yeah. And it's that romance of the hand-picked bouquet and the fact that they know you and um, you're the grower. So I love that that narrative. Mm Mm-hmm. So how long have you had White's Creek Flower Farm and, and what led to it? I'm just, I don't think I know your story. Oh, well, um, initially I was a singer, actor, dancer. Both my husband and I were and lived in New York City. What? And, well, well um, you can't just brush past that. <laughs> <laughs> singer, actor, dancer. Isn't that considered a triple threat? Yeah, yes, but uh, dancing, dancing was the least of the three, so but I, I was definitely a, a singing actor. Oh, my goodness. was forced to dance sometimes. Oh, my goodness. So you, you performed in, uh, in New York, uh, in the theater world? I did. We, we, neither one of us, we'd been there several years, and, and we were both getting seen for Broadway shows, 
but not getting, not booking them. Mm. And um, I have off-Broadway credits and he sang at Carnegie Hall. And, you know, we, we, we just weren't making that step up. And we were in our mid-30s and um, we wanted to have a child. So um, so we left New York mm. and um, we had a child. We moved to Orlando, Florida and had a child and um, our wonderful son, Burton. And um, then... Uh, various circumstances brought us to, to Nashville. Okay. And my husband, my husband is now uh, a, a primarily a filmmaker and animator. He also still does some acting and voice work and puppeteering. He's, he's a really cool guy. Um, but my son had reached the age where, you know, he was a lot more independent and I was like, oh, what am I going to do with myself now? <laughs> so you know, so I, community theater didn't cut it for you. <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 no. You know, it just, no, I, I, wanted, I wanted to move on. And, uh-huh. Yeah, I was ready to move on and do something else. And I was out planting roses and we had bought this property and we were just, you know, spending all this time mowing it. And we're like, <laughs> what can we do with this property? It's crazy. And I, my husband came out and I was planting roses and he said, you look so happy. Mm. Why don't you do something like this? Mm. And I came inside and Googled flower farmer and that's how i found your book the 50 mile bouquet oh my goodness wow and the rest is history (laughs) so that was probably around (laughs) um i don't know seven or eight years ago or let's see that book came out in 2012 yeah 20 yeah 2011 2012 yeah right in there wow what a great story i you know that thank you for sharing that that's isn't that how funny that what how do we ever learn anything before the internet for one thing um, <laughs> and look what's happened for you. I mean, I can't quite believe you're a one-woman show with access to five acres of farming uh, area. I mean, that that's intense. Now, that's not five acres broken out. That's yeah. about, I have about a, a an acre broken out. Okay. But, uh, but I, I grow across five acres. I see. That, that makes more sense. I have five <laughs> large garden. But, oh, my gosh, if I had five acres, I just, <laughs> I'd never sleep. Yeah, you'd have a lot of employees. You know, that were actually cultivated. Uh, Laura, one of the things that I feel like since I first met you, and I, I, I remember reaching out to you when you first joined Slow Flowers just because I had a, um, a, an aunt in uh, Nashville who I wanted to send flowers to. But, of course, it was like January or something, and it didn't work out. But that's how we first connected uh, mm-hmm. personally. And I remember thinking there weren't a lot of people doing what you're doing at the time in Nashville, but look at what the explosion of the local flower scene, um, including people. Oh, it's crazy. Yeah, including people joining Slow Flowers in in Tennessee. I mean, what what has happened, and and how how have you witnessed that? I mean, it's, it sounds like people probably contact you when they Google flower farms in Tennessee, and you pop up. Yeah, they absolutely do, and I've really enjoyed. I wouldn't say mentoring, but kind of meeting and encouraging Mm -hmm. uh, a lot of the young growers. Um, So anytime some young grower has contacted me and said, hey, can I come look at your farm? I'm like, yep, come on over. Because Mm -hmm. there is, you know, I made so many mistakes, you may as well learn from them. (laughs) Um, Wow. And so and and do do Flores contact you too? Or like, how are you? How are you uh, seeing things change on the on the customer side with the Flores? I don't do too much with florists. I've had a few contact me, um, but pretty much all my flowers were going to my designs. Okay. I started just growing specifically 
for things that I liked to design to design with. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, but shall I talk about the collective? Yeah, Would you like yeah. To hear about our collective. I'd love yeah, to. So we'd we, love to share your news. Yeah, this is exciting. Okay, great. We've got so many wonderful, talented new growers and designers. A ton of new designers. Oh, and that was another revenue stream for me. Is that uh, while I didn't sell to florists to brick and mortars. I had a lot of uh, designers who mm-hmm. would come to me, and it was really it was really a cool thing because we could share design tips. There was no like um, rivalry or mm-hmm. anything like that. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, if they got a gig, that was great because they could come buy my flowers. If I got a gig, you know, I'm sure they would like to have had it, but you know, they knew that I grew my own flowers. So it's been a really it's a really nice community of designers and growers here. So I did sell to uh, to the designers sure. that would contact me. That's good. But now the demand has grown so much with all the designers and all the brick and mortar that um, uh, several growers in Middle Tennessee have banded together and we formed a cut flower collective wow. where we can pool our resources and sell directly uh, both retail and wholesale. And so what is so it called? What is it called? Tennessee Cut Flower Collective. Okay, great. And we'll look. We'll. I'd like to try to get uh, more information on that to share with people. But you currently have a website and a presence on social media. Yes. And that, okay, good. We'll share those yes. links then. <clears throat> Did this happen? Uh, about I remember you emailing me about this when it first started. It was within the last year, right? Yeah. Well, it. Uh, I think it officially we're doing our grand opening um, next in 2020. Okay. We had kind of a soft trial period, a soft opening, uh, this, this year. And I must say it would not have happened at all if it hadn't been for Misty Moman from, um, Twin Rose Farms down in Murfreesboro, which is South of Nashville. Right. Um, for several years, uh, six or seven of us had kind of tried every year to get it going, but all of us were pretty much one woman, one woman show <laughs> operation. Right. And Missy and her husband are a husband and wife team. And in fact, they're, they're a three-person team because um, her brother-in-law is also involved in the farm. So she felt like she could pull away a little bit. She saw the necessity for having, you know, for selling collectively because we were buying and selling even from each other. Yeah. yeah. You know, when we needed things for, for events. And, and actually, that was our first line of defense. We would grow to the, go to the growers. First, you know, the local growers. If we didn't have it, we go to the local growers. And only as a very last resort would we contact a wholesaler. Mm -hmm. But she saw that need. And so she stepped away from the farm a little bit, let her husband and brother in law kind of, um, you know, have more autonomy with the farm, I guess, although she's still the events coordinator and does all their business. Somehow she is an amazing Wonder Woman. Yeah. Ask a busy woman and. and you wow. Know. Yeah. Yeah. No kidding. But it sounds so like you all are like that. Well, I hope so, but I don't know. <laughs> she, she's, she's extra special. So, <laughs> she really is. So it's, we, it's amazing. Yeah. And you introduced Misty and me by email and we're going to try to, you know, do something to follow up on this story because I truly believe that, <clears throat> excuse me, that regional <clears throat> kind of flower focused regional sourcing and marketing and selling is <clears throat> really blowing up. I mean, and I'm seeing it happen all mm-hmm. across the country. And the um, the community aspect and the collaborative aspect is really appealing. 
And uh, maybe you could talk a little bit about how you actually intend to sell. Is it a, at a physical location or is it online or how's that working? Uh, we Last year, we tried to do uh, an online plus uh, physical location. There were a lot of uh, complications with that. Um, this year, uh, we're going to sell. We'll be selling for three days, three days a week, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday at the Downtown Farmers Market, which is a fabulous facility that has kind of been underutilized um, mm. by really the community at large, but it's, it's a wonderful facility and they have a fantastic executive director, uh, Tasha Kennard, and she's wanted to get flowers there forever. I sold there one season. Um, and then it was at the end of that season that I stopped and deci- decided to go to, uh, strictly wedding mm-hmm. and, uh, and event design. Um, but yeah, so we're going to be there three days a week and I, I don't know everything that Misty is working on right now, but I do believe there will eventually be a uh, an online component where um, sure. where designers can place an order. Sure. And does the it, in a way it sounds like the the farmers market is kind of incubating this uh, collective, maybe because they have an ample amount of space, or I mean, are you using their coolers, yeah. or how how is that all going to work? Uh, eventually we're going to be able to have our own, like a florist, you know, the store, the storefront kind of, uh, cooler oh, right. yeah. in, in that location. Yeah. We're, we're looking at having, having one of those there, uh, to store just on a weekly basis, you know, just when people bring things in, there will also be a lot of mixed bouquets out to sell to the public. Um, so which, those will not go in the cooler. So I think pretty much just the, the orders for designers will go in the cooler and the mixed bouquets will be out. Fortunately, um, it is undercover. Uh, they have, uh, these wonderful market sheds and there has also been some discussion of us being in the market house, which is air conditioned. Ah, I like that idea so a lot. It, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Especially oh, yeah, given too. the the climate issues in uh, Tennessee. Yeah. Wow. Well, yeah, there are things that that can't we can't sell at uh, at market like uh, Sorrent just wilts mm. completely once it hits the hits the outdoor air. Yeah. But you bring it back inside and it fluffs up again. So. Well, yeah, you guys, air conditioning is key. Yeah, and you all have that experience based based in probably working in the wedding industry. Um, that's probably why you're busier in the spring and fall with weddings rather than summer, right? Mm-hmm. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, congratulations. It's very exciting, and um, it's uh, well. I'll get whatever links you have now, so people can follow at least on social media and um, watch what's happening with the launch of this, and then we'll circle back and do another episode to learn more. But I'm just, a, I'm just appreciative of the snapshot of Tennessee. Um, I need to come visit you. We keep talking about it, and we'll figure it out maybe in 2020. But uh, I, I'm delighted. We would love to have you. Okay. Laura, we'll also uh, love to share photos of you and your flowers and what's going on at White's Creek Flower Farm uh, in today's show notes, so, or in, in the show notes for today's episode. So we'll make sure people can find that at deborahprinzing.com. Great. All right. Thanks so much. Okay, thank you. You'll want to 
to check out photos that Laura has shared and find links to White's Creek Flower Farm's social places in today's show notes at deborahprinzing.com. Thank you so much for joining me today. The Slow Flowers podcast has been downloaded more than 537,000 times by listeners like you. Thank you for listening, commenting, and sharing. It means so much. In fact, for the month of October, which we just wrapped up, more than 13,700 episodes of the Slow Flowers podcast were downloaded by listeners, and that's an all-time record. As our movement gains more supporters and more passionate participants who believe in the importance of the American cut flower industry, the momentum is contagious. I know you feel it too. I value your support and invite you to show your thanks with a donation to support my ongoing advocacy, education, and outreach activities. You can find the donate button in the column to the right at deborahprinzing.com. Our final sponsor thanks this week goes to Arctic Alaska Peonies, a cooperative of family farms in the heart of Alaska, working together to grow and distribute fresh, stunning, high-quality peony varieties during the months of July and August, and even September. Arctic Alaska Peonies operates three packhouses supplying peonies throughout the U.S. and Canada. Visit them today at arcticalaskapeonies.com. I'm Deborah Prinzing, host and producer of the Slow Flowers podcast. Next week, you're invited to join me in putting more American-grown flowers on the table, one vase at a time. And if you like what you hear, please consider logging on to iTunes and posting a listener review. The content and opinions expressed here are either mine alone or those of my guests alone, independent of any podcast sponsor or other person, company, or organization. The Slow Flowers podcast is engineered and edited by Andrew Brenlin. Learn more about his work at soundbodymovement.com. Mm-hmm.